0: Hello, I'm Brandon Peterson, creator and narrator of Storytime. I hope you're enjoying the story. Before today's episode, I wanted to say thank you for listening, and ask that you subscribe, share and rate our podcast so that others can find us. If you're enjoying the podcast, I ask that you check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash storytimebybrandonpeterson. Your support helps us to focus more time on telling these great stories, and gets more episodes to you sooner. Again, thank you. And now, back to your story. Chapter 10 Letter, Dr. Seward to Honorable Arthur Holmwood, 6th September. My dear Art, my news today is not so good. Lucy this morning had gone back a bit there is however one good thing which has arisen from it mrs Westinra was naturally anxious concerning lucy and has consulted me professionally about her i took advantage of the opportunity and told her that my old master van helsing the great specialist was coming to stay with me and that i would put her in his charge conjointly with myself so now we can come and go without alarming her unduly for a shock to her would mean sudden death And this, in Lucy's weak condition, might be disastrous to her. We are hedged in with difficulties, all of us, my poor old fellow. But please, God, we shall come through them all right. If any need, I shall write, so that, if you do not hear from me, take it for granted that I am simply waiting for news. In haste, yours ever, John Seward. Dr. Seward's Diary 7th September The first thing Van Helsing said to me when we met at Liverpool Street was Have you said anything to our young friend and a lover of her? No, I said. I waited until I had seen you as I said in my telegram. I wrote him a letter simply telling him that you were coming as Miss Westenra was not so well and that I should let him know if need be. "'Right, my friend,' he said. "'Quite right. "'Better he not know, as yet. "'Perhaps he shall never know, I, I pray so. "'But if it be needed, then he shall know all. "'And, my good friend John, let me caution you. "'You deal with some madmen. "'All men are mad in some way or another. "'And inasmuch as you deal discreetly with your madmen, "'so deal with God's madmen, too.' the rest of the world you tell not your madmen what you do nor why you do it you tell them not what you think so you shall keep your knowledge in its place where it may rest where it may gather its kind around it and breed you and I shall keep as yet what we know here and here he touched me on the heart and on the forehead and then touched himself the same way I have for myself thoughts at the present. Later I shall unfold to you. Why not now? I asked. It may do some good. We may arrive at some decision. He stopped and looked at me and said, My friend John, when the corn is grown, even before it is ripened, while the milk of his mother earth is in him, and the sunshine has not yet begun to paint him with the gold, the husbandman. He pulls the ear and rub him between his rough hands, and blow away the green chaff, and say, To you, Look, he is good corn. He will make a good corn crop. And then the time comes. No, I did not see the application and told him so. For reply he reached over and took my ear in his hand, and pulled at it playfully, as he used long ago to do at lectures, and said the good husbandman tell you so, when because he knows, but not till then. But you do not find the good husbandman dig up his planted corn to see if he grow? That is the children who play at husbandry, not for those who take it for the work of their life. See you now, friend John? I have sown my corn, and nature has her work to do in making it sprout, and earth her sprout be at all. There be some promise." I will wait till the air begins to swell. He broke off, for he evidently saw that I understood. Then he went on, and very gravely. You were always a careful student, and your casebook was ever more full than the rest. You were the only student then. Now you are the master. I trust that good habits have not failed. Remember, my friend, the knowledge is stronger than memory. We should not trust the weaker. Even if you have not kept the good practice, let me tell you that this case of our dear miss is one that may be, mind I say may be, of such interest to us and others, that all the rest may not make him kick the beam, as your people say. Take then the good note of it all. Nothing is too small. I counsel you. Put down in the record even your doubts and surmises. Hereafter, I may be of interest to you to see how true you guess. We learn from failure, not from success. When I had described Lucy's symptoms the same as before, but infinitely more marked, he looked very grave, but said nothing. He took with him a bag in which there were many instruments and drugs. It's a ghastly paraphernalia of our beneficial trade, as he once called them, In one of his lectures, the equipment of a professor of the healing craft, when we were shown in Mrs. Westenra met us, she was alarmed, but not nearly so much as I expected to find her. Nature, in her beneficent moods, was ordained that even death has some antidote to its own terrors. Here, in the case where any shock may prove fatal, matters are so ordered that, from some cause or another, the things... "'not personal. "'Even the terrible change in her daughter "'to whom she is so attached "'could not seem to reach her. "'It is something like the way "'dame nature gathers around a foreign body "'an envelope of some insensitive tissue "'which can protect from evil "'that which would otherwise harm by contact. "'If this be an ordered selfishness, "'then we should pause before we condemn "'any one for the vice of egoism. there may be a deeper root for its cause.' than we have knowledge of. I used my knowledge of this phase of spiritual pathology and laid down a rule that she should not be present with Lucy or think of her illness more than was absolutely required. She assented rapidly and so readily. I saw again the hand of nature fighting for life. Van Helsing and I were shown up to Lucy's room. If I was shocked when I saw her yesterday, I was horrified when I saw her today. She was ghastly, chalkily pale. The red seemed to have gone even from her lips and gums. The bones of her face stood out prominently. Her breathing was painful to see or hear. Van Helsing's face grew set as marble and his eyebrows converged till they almost touched over his nose. Lucy lay motionless and did not seem to have strength to speak, so for a while we were all silent. Then Van Helsing beckoned to me and "'We went gently out of the room. "'The instant we had closed the door, "'he stepped quickly along the passage to the next door, "'which was opened, "'and he pulled me quickly in with him and closed the door. "'My God!' he said. "'This is dreadful. "'There is no time to be lost. "'She will die for sheer want of blood "'to keep her heart's action as it should be. "'There must be a transfusion of blood at once. "'Is it me or you?' "'I am the younger and stronger, Professor.' It must be me. Then get ready at once. If I bring up my bag, I am prepared. I went downstairs with him, and as we were going, there was a knock at the hall door. When we reached the hall, the maid had just opened the door, and Arthur was stepping quickly in. He rushed up to me with an eager whisper. Jack, I was so anxious I read between the lines of your letter, and have been in agony. Dad was better, so I ran down here to see myself is not that gentleman, Dr. Van Helsing. "'I am so thankful to you, sir, for coming.' "'When first the professor's eye had lit upon him, "'he had been angry at this interruption at such a time. "'But now, as he took in his stalwart proportions "'and recognized the strong young manhood "'which seemed to emanate from him, his eyes gleamed. "'Without a pause he said to him gravely as he held out a hand, "'Sir, you have come just in time. "'You are the lover of our dear miss.' She is bad, very, very bad. Nay, my child, do not go like that. Marie suddenly grew pale and sat down the chair almost fainting. You are here to help her. You can do more than any that live. But your courage is your best help. What can I do? asked Arthur hoarsely. Tell me, and I shall do it. My life is hers. I would give the last drop of my blood in her body for her. The professor was strongly humorous-eyed, and I could, from old knowledge, detect a trace of the origin of his answer. My young sir, I do not ask so much as that. Not the last. What shall I do? There was fire in his eyes, and his open nostrils quivered with intent. Van Helsing slapped him on the shoulder. Come, he said. You are the man, and it is a man we want. You are better than me better than my friend john arthur looked bewildered and the professor went on by explaining in a kindly way young miss is very bad very bad she wants blood and blood she must have or die my friend john and i have consulted and we are about to perform what is called transfusion of blood the transfer from full veins of one to the empty veins which pine for him John was to give his blood, as he is, the more young and strong than me. Here Arthur took my hand and wrung it hard in silence. But now you are here, and you are more good than us, old or young, who toil much in the world of thought. Our nerves are not so calm, and our blood is not so bright as yours. Arthur turned to him and said, If you only knew how gladly I would die for her, you would understand." He stopped with a sort of choke in his voice. Good boy, said Van Helsing. In the not so far off, you will be happy that you have done all for her love. Come now and be silent. You shall kiss her once before it is done, and then you must go. You must leave it by sign. Say no more words to madame. You know how it is with her. There must be no shock. Any knowledge of this would be one. We all went up to Lucy's room. Arthur, by direction, remained outside. Lucy turned her head and looked at us, but said nothing. She was not asleep, but she was simply too weak to make the effort. Her eyes spoke to us, and was all. Van Helsing took some things from his bag and laid them on the little table out of sight. Then he made a narcotic. Coming over to the bed, said cheerily, "Now, little miss, here is your medicine. Bring it off." good child. See, I lift you so that you swallow it easy. Yes? She made an effort with success. It astonished me how long the drug took to act. This, in fact, marked the extent of her weakness. The time seemed endless until sleep began to flicker in her eyelids. At last, however, the narcotic began to manifest its potency and she fell into a deep sleep. When the professor was satisfied, he called Arthur into the room, and bade him strip off his coat. Then he added, "'You may take those one little kisses while I bring over the table. Friend John, help me.' So neither of us looked whilst he bent over her. Van Helsing, turning to me, said, "'He is so young and strong, and the blood so pure, that we need not defibrillate it.' Then with swiftness, but with absolute method, Van Helsing performed the operation. As the transfusion went on, something like life seemed to come back into poor Lucy's cheeks, and through Arthur's growing pallor, the joy of his face seemed absolutely to shine. After a bit, I began to grow anxious, for the loss of blood was telling on Arthur, strong man as he was. It gave me an idea of what a terrible strain Lucy's system must have undergone, and the weakened Arthur only partially restored her. But the professor's face was set, and he stood watch in hand, with his eyes fixed now on the patient and now on Arthur. I could hear my own heart beat. Presently, he said in a soft voice, Do not stir an instant. It is enough. You attend him. I will look at her. When all was over, I could see how much Arthur was weakened. I dressed the wound and took his arm to bring him away. When Van Helsing spoke without turning around, man seems to have brave eyes in the back of his head. The brave lover, I think, deserves another kiss, which he shall have presently. As he had now finished his operation, he adjusted the pillow to the patient's head. As he did so, the narrow black velvet band, which she seems always to wear around her throat, buckled with an odd diamond buckle which her lover had given her. It was dragged up a little, and showed a red mark on her throat. Arthur did not notice it, but I could hear the deep hiss of indrawn breath, which was one of Van Helsing's ways of betraying emotion. He said nothing at the moment, but turned to me, saying, Now take down the brave young lover again. Give him the wine. Let him lie down a while. He must then stay here. Hold. Hold a moment. I may take it, sir, Since you are anxious of result. Then bring it with you. In all ways, the operation is successful. You have saved her life this time, and you can go home and rest in mind that All that can be is. I shall tell her all when she is well. She shall love you nonetheless for what you have done. Goodbye. When Arthur had gone, I went back to the room. Lucy was sleeping gently, but her breathing was stronger. I could see the counterpane move as her breast heaved. By the bedside sat Van Helsing, looking at her intently. The velvet band again covered the red mark. I asked the professor in a whisper. What do you make of that mark? I her throat? What do you make of it? I have not examined it yet, I answered. And then, and there, proceeded to loose the band. Just over the external jugular vein, there were two punctures. Not large, not wholesome-looking. There was no sign of disease, but the edges were white and worn-looking, as if by some titration. It had once occurred to me that this wound, or whatever it was, might be the means of that manifest blood loss. But I abandoned the idea as soon as it formed. Such a thing could not be. The whole bed would have been drenched to scarlet with the blood which the girl must have lost to leave such pallor as she was before the transfusion. Well said Van Helsing. Well, I said, I can make nothing of it. The professor stood up. I must go back to Amsterdam tonight, he said. There are books and things which I want. You must remain here all the night, and you must not let your sight pass from her. Shall I have a nurse? I asked. We are the best nurses, you and I. You keep watch all night, but she is well fed said nothing disturbs her must not sleep at all the night later on we can sleep you and I. I shall be back as soon as possible then we may begin we may begin? I said what on earth do you mean? we shall see he answered as he hurried out he came back a moment later and put his head inside the door and said with a warning finger held up Remember, she is your charge. If you leave her and harm befall her, you shall not sleep easy hereafter. Dr. Seward's diary continued. 8th September. I sat up all night with Lucy. The opiate worked itself off towards dusk, and she waked naturally. She looked very different from what she had been before the operation. Her spirits even... "'were good. "'She was full of happy vivacity, "'but I couldn't see evidences of the absolute prostration "'which she had undergone. When "'I told Mrs. Weston Ron, that Dr. Van Helsing had directed "'that I should sit up with her. "'She almost pooh hooed the idea, "'pointed out her daughter's renewed strength and excellent spirits. "'I was firm, however, and made preparations for my long vigil.' When her maid had prepared her for the night, I came in, having in the meantime had supper and took a seat by the bedside. She did not in any way make objection, but looked at me gratefully whenever I caught her eye. After a long spell, she seemed sinking off to sleep, but with an effort seemed to pull herself together and shook it off. This was repeated several times with greater effort, and with shorter pauses as the time moved on. It was apparent that she did not want to sleep, so I tackled the subject once. You do not want to go to sleep? No, I'm afraid. Afraid to go to sleep? Why so? It is the boon we all crave for. Ah, not if you were like me. It seems as to you a passage of horror. A presage of horror? What on earth do you mean? I don't know. I don't know. And that is what is so terrible. All this weakness comes to me in sleep until I dread the very thought. But, my dear girl, you may sleep tonight. I am here watching you, and I can promise that nothing will happen. Ah, I can trust you. I seized the opportunity and said, I promise that if I see any evidence of bad dreams, I will wake you at once. You will? Oh will you really how good you are to me? Then I will sleep. And almost at the word she gave a deep sigh of relief and sank back asleep. All night long I watched by her. She never stirred, but slept on and on in a deep, tranquil, life giving, health giving sleep. Her lips were slightly parted, and her breast rose and fell with the regularity of pendulum. There was a smile on her face. It was evident that no bad dreams had come to disturb her peace of mind. In the early morning, her maid came and I left in her care and took myself back home, for I was anxious about many things. I set a short to about Helsing and Arthur, telling them of the excellent results of the operation. My own work, with manifold arrears took me all day to clear off, and it was dark when I was able to inquire about my zoophagus patient. The report was good, and he had been quite quiet for the past day and night. A telegram came by Van Helsing at Amsterdam whilst I was at dinner, suggesting that I should be at Hillingham tonight, as it might be well to be at hand, and stating that he was leaving by the night mail and would join me early in the morning. 9th September I was pretty tired and worn out when I got to Hillingham. For well, two nights, I had hardly a wink of sleep, and my brain was beginning to feel the numbness which marks cerebral exhaustion. Lucy was up and in cheerful spirits. When she shook hands with me, she looked sharply in my face and said, "'No sitting up tonight for you. You are quite worn out. I am quite well again. Indeed I am. And if there is to be any sitting up, it is I who will sit up with you.' I would not argue the point, but went and had my supper.' Lucy came with me and enlivened by her charming presence, I made an excellent meal. and had a couple of glasses of more than excellent port. Then Lucy took me upstairs and showed me a room next to her own, where a cozy fire was burning. Now, she said, you must stay here. I shall leave this door open and my door too. You can lie on the sofa, for I know that nothing would induce any of you doctors to go to bed whilst there is a patient above the horizon. If I want anything, I shall call out, and he come to me at once. I could not but acquiesce. I was dog-tired, and could not have sat up had I tried. So on her renewing her promise to call me, if she should want anything, I lay on the sofa and forgot all about everything. Lucy Westenra's Diary 9th September I feel so happy tonight. I've been so miserably weak. that to be able to think and move about is like feeling sunshine after a long spell of east wind out of a steel sky. Somehow Arthur feels very, very close to me. I seem to feel his presence warm about me. I suppose it is that sickness, that weakness, our selfish things and turn our inner eyes and sympathy on ourselves, whilst health and strength give love reign, and in thought and feeling he can wander where he, he wills. I know where my thoughts are, if Arthur only knew. My dear, my dear, your ears must tingle as you sleep, as mine do waking. Oh, the blissful rest of last night, how I slept with that dear, good Dr. Seward watching me. And tonight I shall not fear to sleep, since he is close at hand and within call. Thank everybody for being so good to me. Thank God. Good night, Arthur. Dr. Seward's Diary 10th September. "'I was conscious of the professor's hand on my head "'and started awake all in a second. "'This is one of the things that we learn in the asylum at any rate.' "'And how is our patient?' "'Well, when I left her, or rather when she left me,' I answered. "'Come, let us see,' he said, "'and together we went into the room.' The blind was down, and I went over to raise it gently whilst Van Helsing stepped with his soft cat-like tread over to the bed. as I raised the blind and the morning sunlight flooded the room. I heard the professor's low hiss of inspiration, and knowing its rarity, a deadly fear shot through my heart as I passed over. he moved back in his exclamation of horror, "Got in him!" needed no enforcement for his agonized face. He raised his hand and pointed to the bed, and his iron face was drawn and ashen white. I felt my knees begin to tremble. There, on the bed, seemingly in a swoon, lay poor Lucy, more horribly white and wan-looking than ever. Even the lips were white, and gums seemed to have shrunken back from the teeth, as we sometimes see in a corpse after a prolonged illness." Van Helsing raised his foot to stamp in anger but the instinct of his life and all the long years of habit stood to him and he put it down again softly click he said bring the brandy I flew to the dining room and returned with a decanter he wetted the poor white lips with it and together we rubbed the palm and wrist and heart we felt her heart after a few moments agonizing suspense and said it is not too late "'It beats, so f- but feebly. All our work is undone, and we must begin again. "'There is no young man, also here now. I have to call on you yourself this time, friend John.' "'As he spoke, he was dipping into his bag and producing the instruments for transfusion. "'I had taken off my coat and rolled up my sleeve. "'There was no possibility of an opiate, just at the present, and no need for one, "'and so, without a moment's delay, we began the operation.' After a time, it did not seem to shock time either, for the draining away of one's life blood, no matter how willingly it may be given, is a terrible feeling. Van Helsing held up a warning finger. Do not stir, he said. I fear this a growing strength you may wake, that we would make danger. Oh, so much danger. I shall precaution take. I shall give hypodermic injection of morphia. He proceeded then, swiftly and deftly, to carry out his intent. The effect on Lucy was not bad, for the faint, seeming to emerge subtly with a narcotic sleep, it was a, with a feeling of personal pride that I could see a faint tinge of color steal back into the pallid cheeks and lips. No man knows, till he experiences it, what it is to feel his own lifeblood drawn away into the veins of the woman he loves. The professor watched me critically. "'That will do,' he said." Already, I remonstrated. You took a great deal more from art, to which he smiled a sort of sad smile as he replied, He is her lover, her fiance. You have work, much work to do for her and for others, and pleasant will when he stopped the operation, he attended to Lucy, whilst I applied digital pressure to my own incision. I laid down whilst I waited at his leisure to attend me, for I felt faint and a little sick. By and by, he bound up the wound and sent me downstairs to get a glass of wine to myself. As I was leaving the room, he came after me, half-whispered. My nothing of this must be said, of this. If your lover should have run up unexpected as before, no word to him would at once frighten him and in him too. But there must be none. So when I came back he looked at me carefully, then said You are not much the worse. Go into the room and lie on your sofa, and the rest of I then have much breakfast and come here to me. I followed out his orders, for I knew how right and wise they were. I had done my part, and now my next duty was to keep up my strength. I felt very weak, and in my weakness lost something of the amazement at what had occurred. I fell asleep on the sofa, however, wondering over and over again how Lucy had made such a retrograde movement, and how she could have been drained so much blood with no sign anywhere to show for it. I think I must have continued to wonder in my dreams, for sleeping and waking, my thoughts always came back to the little punctures in her throat and the ragged, exhausted appearance of their edges, Tiny though they were, Lucy slept well into the day, and when she woke, she was fairly well and strong, though not nearly so much so as the day before. When Van Helsing had seen her, he went out for a walk, leaving me in charge with strict injunctions that I was to not leave her for a moment. I could hear his voice in the hall asking the way to the nearest telegraph office. Lucy chatted with me freely and seemed quite unconscious of anything that had happened. I tried to keep her amused and interested. When her mother came up to see her, she did not seem to notice any change whatever, but said to me gratefully, "'We owe you so much, Doctor Seward, for all you have done, but you really must now take care not to overwork yourself. You are looking pale yourself. You want a wife to nurse you and look after you a bit. That you do.' As she spoke, Lucy turned crimson, Though no, it was not, only momentarily, for her poor, wasted veins could not stand for long such unwanted drain to the head, Her action came in excessive pallor as she turned imploring eyes on me. I smiled and nodded, laid my finger on her lips. With a sigh, she sank back amid her pillows. Van Helsing returned in a couple of hours, and presently said to me, "'Now you go home, and eat much and drink enough. Make yourself strong.' "'I stay here tonight, and shall sit up with the little miss myself. "'You and I must watch the case. "'We must have none other to know. "'We have grave reasons. "'No, do not ask them. "'Think what you will. "'Do not fear to think even the most probable. "'Good night.' "'In the hall two of the maids came to me, "'and asked if they, or either of them, "'might not sit up with Miss Lucy.' "'They implored me to let them. "'When I said it was Dr. Van Helsing's wish "'that either he or I sit up, "'they asked me quite impietously "'to intercede with him in the foreign gentleman. "'I was much touched by their kindness, "'but perhaps it is because I am weak at present, "'and perhaps because it was on Lucy's account "'that their devotion was manifest, "'for over and over again "'I have seen similar instances of woman's kindness. "'I got back here in time for a late dinner.' Went my rounds, all well, and set this down whilst waiting for sleep. It is coming. 11th of September. This afternoon I went over to Hillingham, found Van Helsing in excellent spirits, and Lucy much better. Shortly after I arrived, a big parcel from abroad came for the professor. He opened it with much impressment, amuse, of course, and showed a great bundle of white flowers. "'These are for you, Miss Lucy,' he said. "'For me? Oh, dear, Dr. Van Helsing. "'Yes, my dear, but not for you to play with. "'These are medicines.' "'Here, Lucy made a wry face. "'Nay, but they are not to take in a decoction or a nauseous form, "'so you need not snub that so charming nose, "'or I shall point out to my friend Arthur.' What woes he may have to endure and sing so much beauty that he loves so much distort. Aha <laughs> my pretty miss. That brings a so nice nose all straight again. This is medicinal, but you do not know how. I put him in the window, make pretty wreaths, and I hang him around your neck, so that when you sleep well. Oh yes, they like the lotus flower make the trouble forgotten smell so like the waters of Lethe, and the fountain of youth that the conquistador sought for the Floridas, and find him all too late. Whilst he was speaking, Lucy had been examining the flowers and smelling them. Now she threw them down, saying with a half-laugh and half-disgust, Oh, Professor, I believe that you are only putting up a joke on me. Why, these flowers are only common garlic. To my surprise, Van Helsing rose up and said, with all his sternness, his iron jaws set and his bushy brows meeting, No trifling with me. I never jest. There is a grim purpose in all I do, and I warn you that you will not thwart me. I take care for the sake of others, if not for my own. And then, seeing poor Lucy scared, as she might well be, he went on more gently. Yes, my dear do not fear me I only do the good for you there is much virtue to you and those common flowers See, I place them myself in your room I make myself in the wreath that you wear to wear but hush I'm telling to others to make so inquisitive questions you must obey the silence is a part of obedience and obedience is to bring your strong and well into loving arms that wait for you now sit a while Come with me, friend John, and you will help me deck the room with my garlic, which is all the way from Harlem. My friend Van der has herb in his glass houses all the year. I had to telegraph yesterday, or they would not have been here. We went into the room and taken the flowers with us. The professor's actions were certainly odd and not to be found in any pharmacopoeia that I have ever heard of. First he fastened up the windows and latched them securely. Next, taking a handful of the flowers, he rubbed them all over the sashes, as though he was ensuring that every whiff of air that might get in would be laden with the garlic smell. Then with a wisp he rubbed it all over the jam of the door, above, below, each side, round the fireplace in the same way. It all seemed grotesque to me, and presently I said, Well, Professor, I... "'I know you always have a reason for what you do, but this certainly puzzles me. "'It is well we have no septic here, and we would say that you are working some spell, "'or keep up some evil spirit.' "'Perhaps I am,' he answered quietly, as he began to make the wreath which Lucy was to wear on her neck. "'We then waited whilst Lucy made her toilet for the night, and when she was in bed—' He came and I himself fixed the wreath of garlic around her neck. The last words he said to her were, Take care not to disturb it, and even if the room feel close, do not tonight open the window or the door. I promise, said Lucy, and thank you both a thousand times for your kindness to me. Oh, what have I done to be blessed with such friends? As we left the house and my... Fly, which was waiting, when Helsing said, Tonight I can sleep in peace. My sleep I want. Two nights of travel, much reading in the day between, and much anxiety on the day to follow, and the night to sit up or something. To Tomorrow in the morning, early you call me, and we come together to see our prison. It's so much more strong for my spell, which I have to work. <laughs> He seemed so confident that I, remembering my own confidence two nights before, as a baneful result, felt awe and vague terror. It must have been my weakness that made me hesitate to tell my friend. I felt it all the more, like unhushed fears. We hope you are enjoying our retelling of Bram Stoker's Dracula. If you are enjoying our version of the story, we ask that you please subscribe, like, or follow our podcast so that you'll be notified as soon as the next episode drops. This is a labor of love, and if you're enjoying the story, we encourage you to support us through ACAST+. Plus, Or, tell your friends about us so that we can continue to share great stories thank you